Hey everyone, welcome to episode 46 of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we have Josh Golem, the CEO of Hazel Health. Let's waste no time. Let's bring Josh on. Josh, thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. Thanks for having me, Jared. How's your day going? It is good. Things are really good. How about you? Doing well uh, here in Boston. Uh, I'm not sure how it is near you, but it's still been kind of weirdly quiet, even on the nice days. So uh, we'll see how this weekend changes with some nice weather coming our way. But we're, we're about to relocate it. So I live, we're just south of San Francisco. So our Hazel's offices are in San Francisco. And so um, thankfully, nice weather, which is good. And um, things are in California, they're starting to ease up the restrictions. So it seems slowly, but I think at least it's, it seems at a thoughtful pace from what we can gather so far. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems like we're starting to, I know Massachusetts just released kind of their, uh, several phase plan. So hopefully things are getting a little bit better. It seems like, uh, actually in Massachusetts, I don't think the cases are necessarily going down. Um, but I, I, I don't personally, I haven't known anyone that's actually uh, contract. Oh, that's actually, you know, had any major issues as a result of COVID, but uh, it, it's pretty bad. Um, I, I would love if uh, we could kick things off, Josh, by you talking to the audience a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. And then we can go into some other questions. Yeah. 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 So I've, I, it's, I feel like I've come full circle. So like professionally, so right after undergrad, I actually went into what's called AmeriCorps, um, which is like the urban, uh, so domestic Peace Corps. So during the Clinton administration, it started this program to get folks right out of college to give back. And so I, I did that for two years working in public schools. And so that I found this awesome nonprofit that was based here in San Francisco, where the idea was basically we'd, we'd partner with schools to, in low income areas, but had this really aggressive idea for change. And then we would, the idea was to help support that vision. So that's where, um, sort of ironically, I also met my wife, who was a teacher uh, during that process. And then, uh, and then I actually spent another couple of years doing you know, economic development, community development work in inner cities. And so that, that sort of first chapter of my career was all you know, focused on communities and you know, particularly communities in need. Uh, and then I totally changed gears. And so I, you know, the biggest thing I had, um, my passion was there I often found myself a little bit frustrated by just how slow change happened. And even though the nonprofits I worked for were terrific, it just, it felt like things could happen at a fast enough scale. And it, it, yeah, I, I had this fantastic mentor at the time, uh, it was Gus Newport. He used to be mayor of Berkeley. And I remember, I remember I had this old plan to go to urban planning school and learn all these things. And I remember um, Gus's feedback to me was, you know, Josh, my, my recommendation is you know, we're trying to create jobs in inner cities. Um, that's hard for a nonprofit, how we're structured to think about it, you should go to the um, for-profit side, go to business school and learn like, how do we think about creating, creating wealth and economy in these places? That's the place to go. And so it was, it was, it was not <laughs> totally, I was in the space of like three days, I completely changed my next chapter's plans uh, and then ended up going to business school. And um, to Gus's credit, I do think that a lot of his insights were right in terms of how to think about um, it was an incredible training crown there. And then I did consulting for a few years afterwards. Like, how do you think about change at a massive scale that can go quickly and thinking about incentives and all these things that you want to think about if you want to drive a lot of things to happen quickly, which was awesome. Um, 
and I think I've always had this sort of back of my heart and you know, soul calling to, to be a part of something bigger um, and have a mission and vision. And so I, I decided to sort of go into the healthcare space. And so before for Hazel, there's two different healthcare companies that had a chance to run. And, and like the, the common thread across those two and then Hazel now is all this idea of like, where are there parts of the healthcare system where it's really hard to access care, where it's not that doctors aren't great, the process of getting that doctor or pharmacist or whatever it is is so hard that people end up not using it, which means they end up like less healthy, but it also costs the healthcare system a lot more money. And so the the two ideas before were going, one was a pharmacy business, one was a primary care business, saying like, if we could change that model and make it so easy for them to get the care they want, we can do two things, drive up health and drive down cost. And that's you know, in a country where we still spend about 18% of our GDP on healthcare, it's you know it's it, it's hard to have the conversation sometimes when you talk about increasing healthcare access because people go to the price tag. You know, my own belief is there's a way to do both. There's a way to increase access and actually bring that cost bucket down. And it's all based on making it easy for people to get access to care and particularly preventative care. Um, so that was kind of like the backstory of my world. And then I had a chance to um, meet these amazing tech entrepreneurs and education entrepreneurs. And then that's where the idea from Hazel came. Interesting. Um, did you already know these other entrepreneurs well before, uh, like even having the idea for, for Hazel? Or um, was it as a result of having the idea for Hazel that you actually got in contact with them? Yeah, no, no, it's actually, and, and, and it's, it was their idea that I met them. Um, I would, they get full credit for it. And oh, so, okay. Um, and so, and so, the, what, you know, so the business right before uh, Hazel is running, we were at a company called Paladina Health. Uh, it's based out in Denver, and it was all um, called direct primary care. So that, these were all in clinics. This wasn't telemedicine. The idea was we would go to employers and we would build an actual, just like very high touch, great service concierge practice almost on that employer site. Where you know the idea is you know we particularly we'd find places where there's really high rates of chronic disease, where we knew that they weren't using the doctor very well, and we put this great doctor on site, and we'd find that. You know, people, it would completely change how, if we did our job well, um, how people engage with doctors. Because we find like, yeah, generalize, you know, our stereotypical patient hasn't been the doctor in seven years, has a bunch of things that they're sort of worried about, but they sort of hate the healthcare system. They're afraid to go to the doctor. We all of a sudden have this doctor that they build a relationship with. They have access to their cell phone that like they feel like this is their doctor. And we'd see phenomenal behavior change that you'd find it. My belief it always has always been that that folks generally know the behaviors they're supposed to do, but they haven't really often felt like they've got a, a clinical partner doctor that they get enough time with to help them get on that path. And you know, at least we found in Paladina is that if you do that, if you do that well and you build trust, people will follow that model. And so, um, so we ended up that that business ended up being bought by a venture capital firm. Um, but I had had this huge passion to do stuff in pediatrics. And so after I had, you know, I have three kids, you can't count that you can see them on the video cam behind me. That's a little bit of an old picture anyways, but I had these like three awesome kids. Um, uh, and you know, my oldest son was actually born deaf. And so my wife and I went through this whole process when he was born deaf, uh, he has cochlear implants now he's doing awesome. He's, he's like, you know, I like, shout for him right now, uh, now that I do working at home. Um, but we, we got to experience firsthand how hard it is to get healthcare for your kids. 
even when you, you know, are well-educated, speak the language, have good insurance, uh, and how hard it was for us. Um, again, not because we didn't have great doctors and audiologists, but just the process was so hard that I wanted to do more. And so I basically, it, you know, there's, I remember exactly the day it was, but I, I got this call and it was like, hey, there's someone that's thinking about doing something kind of similar to what you thought about in Paladina, but they want to do it in schools. And you know, the huge light bulb went off for me to say, well, gosh, if there's the equivalent of you know, all of us at work, you know, having a clinic at work is for kids to be at school. Um, you know, they're there 180 days a year. They already have transportation. They already have trust. And, you know, and um, especially for families that are working parents, it's hard to get the kids a doctor. They're already there, which is, so it makes sense in so many levels. And now finally technology has gotten to the place where you can actually have um, a pretty robust setup. So I mean, for your listeners, just to make sure it's clear what Hazel is. So we, we basically build a pretty robust virtual health clinic at the school site. So if you imagine, you know, somewhere in the school nurse's office, typically there's an iPad, there's a stand, and we can stock it with all sorts of equipment. So we can take a child's height, weight, blood pressure, pulse oximeter, sort of anything you need. So it's sort of it's sort of telemedicine on steroids because there's a lot more data than you would typically think of. And we partner with that school nurse so that there's now also an adult on the other end. And you know, in a best case, you know, best case scenario for us, there's a nurse who's licensed and credentialed. And now we're able to provide them care with our doctors being somewhere else. And to clarify too for the for the audience, so when you say schools, are you to like elementary through high school or is it elementary through like middle school or even earlier than that? Yeah, great question. So we do, we, our bread and butter has really been K through 12 right now, although we have done some, some uh, pre-kindergarten. Um, and it's, yeah, so we've gone across the spectrum. It, it varies a little bit what you see as kids get older, but we've, so the model looks, I'd say not the model, but what the kind of treat, um, visits we have vary a little bit from elementary as you go up to high school, um, but we work across all those. And right now, are you uh, hyper focused in one super area, uh, you know, one particular area, or uh, are do you have a pretty good presence, uh, you know, throughout different parts of the United States? Yeah, so I mean, this is this. I'll give you like the, there's the pre-COVID answer and then the post-COVID answer. And so, um, okay. before COVID hit, we were, yeah, we were, in, we were in six states. So we had you know, we started in California, but we were in California, Colorado, Arizona, Texas, and Nevada. Um, and we'd planned to roll out a couple more states. Um, and then part of what happened as, as COVID hit, I think two things. One, a lot of the regulations, a lot of the things that made some states that we knew there was interest in from schools a little bit harder, a lot of those started to get relaxed and changed. A lot of the payer parity things changed. So it made it possible for some states that we would have probably not gone into for a while to open up. Um, the other thing that happened at the same time is that I, I was expecting um, – that demand would go away because all you know, all of a sudden, you know, there's we're hearing all these announcements about school closures. Everything that we've been doing historically is about seeing kids while they're in school, and so you know, does that mean we're out of business for the next five months? And um, it, actually, the exact opposite happened, where um, so many of the districts we've been talking to, you know, I think it even more crystallized how much they needed to have a health solution, uh, both for when schools were back in session, but even then, because what's happening right now in a lot of places in the country is school nurses are actually still working. I mean, they're, they're at home on their computer and the family member. And what we've found, particularly in a lot of the highest need communities is you've got families that don't know how to access the healthcare system. 
maybe they haven't had a primary care doctor yet. And a lot of times the school nurses, they're, they're sort of PCP in the, the family's eyes. And those, you know, these are kids that still are getting pink eye, you know, still need their asthma medication refilled. And so we had so much requests from school nurses to say, can we offer this to families at home? That we, we quickly added that. So now we have families that can access us from home, from you know, their, their, their computer, their smartphone, their iPad. It, it, we have a particular focus on underserved communities. So it's, it's more often than not their smartphone, uh, but it's allowed us to kind of create a connection. But our, our, our still belief is that we, the idea for us, we wanna be wherever kids are, but we're not trying to go to you know, wide across the country, just direct to consumer. I think the idea is to work with families in schools where we will both be in school and then also at home for the family. Yeah, I really, I really like the process of partnering with these these schools and the school nurses, uh, getting them involved with the process. Um, I know there's many school nurses out there that would love to be able to leverage, you know, a, a service like yours, because um, you know there's certain things that they're they're uniquely qualified to help the students with, but um, you know there comes a point where they need additional help, and in, in the past they haven't been able to get that in many cases. I remember. Uh, you know, when I used to go to the school nurse, that if they didn't know something, like you were kind of you know, out of out of luck in some cases. They do what they could for you, and you either had to go and take it. You know, first of all, if you have a child go home and tell, you know, try to explain to your parents like what happened, and then they have to go, you know, push push you to that next level of care, whether it's your primary care provider or urgent care clinic, right? Um, that might not always happen. So I really like the the model that you put together. What was one of the biggest, uh, I guess, it, it sounds like there was some adjustment as COVID started to happen with allowing the students to access this service at home in collaboration with the school nurse. Uh, could you talk us through, I mean, only what you're willing to share, uh, what that looked like, that kind of adjustment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that like I, the school, you touched on a lot, but the school nurses, like they're their job is incredibly hard. They're, they're both like serving all there and they're basically diagnosing everything from a child having a headache to just kids with asthma, you know, to kids who have, you know, that may need behavioral health services. And so they're playing this sort of key role and for so many of our kids in the country, I wish, I wish there was more school nurses because not every state has as many. You live in Massachusetts and like most schools in Massachusetts have a school nurse. In California where I live, it's only about one nurse to every three or four schools. So a lot of times like kids just don't have that access they would in Massachusetts. Really? Wow. Yeah, I don't think people realize how much variability there is in the country. And so, um, and so the ability to, you know, for us to work with them to basically kind of help expand their practice, give them more tools has always been kind of key for this is to help them be able to maximize what they can do. And I think it's been nice to see, I mean, I, I, we get so many anecdotal stories of these nurses that like are basically now like working from home, trying to um, buy their computer, juggle all these things um, for kids and families. I'll, I'll give you one example. There's a um, last week, it, um, there's a family down in, in Southern California um, where the nurse basically, you know, they knew that there was a family that needed access to care. They didn't have a primary care doctor you know, help connected to make sure she, this worked out. It was a family that we had worked with before at Hazel. So the, the family had experience with us in the school setting. Um, the, the nurse had awareness that there's some issues going on with the kid. 
Um, and so it's able to connect and facilitate. Because even though we had spread the word out, you know, there's so many messages you're getting from your school that the, I don't think that family had yet seen that you, I could also use Hazel. Once that nurse flagged it to the family, they were excited because they had already had a relationship with us. Um, they called, did a visit. They got the exact same provider because we try to create kind of the same provider experience for patients they can. But they got the same provider that, that that child had seen in school. So it was like this moment of like, oh, great, it's it's Carmen, one of our providers. Um, and then, um, yeah, and for, like, there's like, the good news and bad news part of the story, because this one doesn't have a resolution yet, as, as often happens in healthcare. But you know, we're talking to this family, and we realize you know, the mom shares with us that um, the child had been having a bunch of issues, um, uh, a bunch of symptoms of the previous month. Uh, mom was so worried about um, COVID that didn't want to take them in anywhere to get seen. And so basically the issues were getting worse at home. Um, and so, and they didn't have a PCP, even though they had technically been assigned one by their health plan, they just didn't know how to really use it. And, um, so anyways, our, um, Carmen spends a great time with them on the phone, connects with them. We actually decide from her assessment, we need to send them to the ER. Um, and so all the stuff is happening. So we're talking to family, we call ahead to the ER to make sure it's safe to help the family know that they should go in. Usually that usually the right answer is not to go to the ER. It was one of those cases it was. Um, and so we're able to navigate with the parents, they go in there. Yeah, unfortunately, the bad part is, is the child's diagnosed with leukemia. And so, you know, thankfully, actually, I just got the word today, child just got sent home today, wow. and they're still on the road to recovery. And so it's, it's a, it, I think the idea is we're not trying to celebrate the outcome yet. Hopefully there'll be an outcome, but, but there's this case where this family, because they didn't know how to access the healthcare system could be all sorts of different you know, outcomes to this story. Um, but because that nurse intervened, because we already had a relationship with them and, you know, I'm proud of the, our team is the, the, my clinical team's phenomenal. They went above and beyond to help this child that we, you know, hopefully they'll knock on wood, be on the path to, to doing a lot better very soon. Yeah, well, we hope for a, a smooth recovery for this child. Um, interesting. That was yeah, in that, California? Yeah. yeah, this one's in California. And I think, I mean, that, like, I think the thing, and I think a lot of okay. people read about this, is like there's there's a, a big, still a big, like all the gaps that existed between people who had good healthcare access and those who didn't, you know, those are just getting exacerbated right now with COVID. And so if you, you know, we already didn't have a, a primary care doctor using or is, you didn't have within 20 miles. You know, the, the difficult part we're finding, I'd say that about 75% of the families we serve are um, get their insurance as Medicaid or CHIPS. They tend to be lower income. And for so many of these families, you've got this, this sort of unfortunate paradox, but the families are often essential, the parents are often essential workers. They have, you know, they're, they're, they're often folks working in the service industry um, doing the hard work that needs to happen to keep the country going. And at the same time, they don't have great access to healthcare. So they're more at risk and they, it's much harder for them to access the system. And you know, you know, telehealth is a way that can be of huge help um, if we can find ways to get it there. And so yeah, I think what I'm hoping will happen, and I think we're starting to see the direction is more and more folks realizing that like technology can start to close some, it doesn't take the place of a phenomenal doctor, but like if we can use technology to bring those people to where families are, that we can make a huge impact. What, what do you see as some of the next steps for the company heading into uh, mid to late 2020 to kind of continue to move things forward? Um, you know, COVID's still gonna be a thing. Uh, that's got to be incorporated in a part of the strategy, right? Heading into the fall, uh, it sounds like you already took the steps to to help counter that by being, you know, having your platform be available to be used from home. 
Um, but I'd, I'd be curious, uh, obviously, again, what, what you're able to share, um, kind of what those next steps look like. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty transparent. Sometimes I'm too transparent, but um, I'd say that, like, I think what we're hearing, so, so like the core piece of being available in school and at home, like we're going to keep rolling that out. Uh, um, uh, we have, a, we've thankfully been able to actually, a lot of districts have just signed up. So we're ready to do that core. I think the biggest thing we're trying to adjust for and plan for is how do we support schools with their return to school strategy? Um, you know, if you, if you think about all the things that are happening for employers right now, all the questions from like a screening before to um, afterwards, um, to, you know, what happens if some, you know, the contact tracing work that happened, what happens if something that gets diagnosed, that those are at an even like a bigger scale in schools. Cause in, a, in an employer setting, you know, um, you can, you can kind of know, ex you can confine places a little bit more easier to say, look, we're going to keep everyone on this floor to work here. Uh, schools don't know, you, know, you have a bunch of kindergartners running around. It's a lot more complicated. And so um, we're hearing from a lot of our district, the thing with all sorts of innovative ways at the school side of everything from, staggering schedules to maybe opening elementary schools first and high schools later so that they can get the, you know, in that example, the kid, you know, the younger kids have to get out of the house for the parents to be able to work. And so for, for two parent families that are working and so having those kids go to high school. So they're thinking about a million different ideas from a process perspective. And we're trying to figure out how do we support them clinically? Is there, you know, is it, you know, being able to have an easy assessment before school even starts that so that we can help that family know not when to come in, you know, to on the other end, when a family gets diagnosed, how to make sure they know exactly when they're clear to come back into school and to make sure that the school knows too, to sort of help minimize tracing. So, cause this, like in schools, this often has happened at like a micro level before. So like I'll use, I'll use lice, um, which like every time I mention, my head starts to itch. But like it's like we like often in like schools you, you deal with this. Like it's like if all parents out there know that like almost everyone's had this like a lice outbreak, um, but it's often a really manual process. Like how do we let all the parents know? How do we send a letter? Uh, but schools generally do a pretty good job of this. Now COVID is that on steroids, right? And so it's it's applying a lot of things that they need to do already, but trying to give them the tools to be able to do it more effectively. Interesting. You're, you're in a unique yeah. situation, too, because you basically have two potential paths that, uh, that you know, you might have to con you know, continue with the, the current path or you might be able to stick back to being you know, directly in those schools with the students if they're slowly going back uh, come the fall or even at a later period. Uh, and, and all that happening, you know, along with everything happening in the world. Um, it's interesting, but it, it sounds, uh, you know, from everything I learned about the company before and, and now being able to talk with you too, it's, it's that flexibility and that quick adjustment, um, you know, structure that uh, I think definitely really helps your, your business. Yeah, thank What's, you. We have a pretty, it's all about like having a phenomenal uh, team. So we feel pretty lucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're also in a, a unique space where what you're doing serves a lot of good and it just, and it's, it's a good business too. I mean, it's, it's really great. I mean, I'm sure, especially because you, you know, you've been an, an entrepreneur, you've been uh, involved in building businesses. It's really cool, right? You're able to create a business that does a lot of good, but is also a, a very interesting business and just makes sense. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. Thank you. Where, I mean, I, I would love if there's anything else you'd like, yeah, you're welcome. If, uh, I'd love to hear where people can learn more about you and the company. Uh, and I can share that in show notes for, uh, for our listeners. Um, if you're willing to share and we can go from there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, we, our website is www.hazel.co, no M, C-O. Um, and then um, uh, I think we're finally starting to be a little more open on social media, so everything from LinkedIn to Twitter. Uh, and folks, we actually... We are hired, we are growing a lot. And so we're looking for great people. And if folks want to learn more, either just out of curiosity or for employment or know their local district, but would love to see their kids have access to this. We would welcome any and all um, outreach. Perfect. Um, I can even do, if you'd like, throw, uh, if, if there's a careers page, throw a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, so that would be fantastic. Can, uh, to reach out. That'd be terrific. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Josh, again, thank you so much for, for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I look forward to following Hazel and, and your journey as well and uh, and staying in touch, talking about a couple other things. Awesome. Thanks. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me, Jared. Thanks. Hey, everyone. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Block Health. Block Health is unlocking healthcare professional data, making it easily shareable. They want to make life easier for healthcare professionals and organizations so that they can focus on tasks like providing the best care possible to patients. Block Health leverages their smart universal common application and blockchain technology to streamline many of the tasks that healthcare professionals and organizations must engage in, like primary source verification, provider enrollment, state licensing, state license renewals, DEA registration, DEA renewals, and much more. They do all of this through their easy to use platform. If you would like to learn more about Block Health, please check out their website at www.blochealth.com. Thanks. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, You can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.